everyone. My name is Samantha Hawkins. I am filling in real quickly for our ever incredible 911 Wonder Woman in Chief, Sarah Weston, and introducing another amazing Empower panel brought to you by 911 Wonder Woman and this entire army. So glad to have you all joining us for this one. This is all about Find Your Pride. This is the June Empower panel, and oh my gosh, we got a good one in store for you. Before I kick it off to our incredible moderator and give a quick intro about her, just want to remind you of some important things because this panel is going out live to y'all. But if you're not able to join us for this live stream, oh yes, it is available later on. You know we're on podcast, right? If y'all forgot and didn't get the memo, we are available out there on podcasts everywhere. That includes iHeartRadio, Apple Music, um, as well as Spotify. And you can also watch this entire video again on replay later on on the 911 Wonder Woman YouTube channel. So check it out. Check out all the past Empower panels as well, because if you haven't caught up, you need to. But today we're here with this panel, Finding Your Pride, and our moderator, none other than Valerie Miner. She is co-chair of the Marketing and Communications Committee for 911 Wonder Woman. She is a wellness promoter for 911 and for public safety in general. If you haven't read any of Valerie's articles, I've said this before, I might disown you, okay? She is an amazing writer and promoter and wellness content creator, and she is the moderator for the Find Your Pride panel for today. Valerie Miner, you're going to kick it off and introduce this panel of amazing speakers we've got because it's a great one. It's yours. Take it away, Valerie. Sam, I am so glad to share this platform with you again. <laughs> you always bring a lot of excitement and wealth of wisdom to the platform. Um, you'll see uh, uh, something different on our screen today. We have our inaugural male member of the Empower panel, Mr. Drew Clark. Um, we also have with us today, Julie Brown, and we have Tony Sexton. We may have um, Nancy Lockhart appear later, and if so, we'll welcome her in as well, but we wanted to go ahead and get started. Um, as Sam said, we're talking about issues or just working as a queer or LGBTQ, however word you want to use in 911, and just any issues you come across, things you find that make it better. Um, but we're just going to start now with going around and I'll have Julie introduce herself just a little bit, and then we'll move to Drew, and then we'll move to Tony. Hi, everyone. I'm Julie Brown. I'm from Massachusetts. I've been in dispatch for about eight and a half years. Um, I identify as lesbian, she, her pronouns. Um, and I am the co-chair of the 911 Wonder Woman Events Committee with the fabulous Samantha Hawkins, who introduced Val. Awesome. Thanks, Julia. And I am Drew Clark. I have been in the industry for 10 years now, eight and a half with Fairfax County Communications. Um, almost two years now in the private sector with Carbine. And I see some of my Carbine family in the chat. Thanks for joining. Um, I am agender, which means without gender. Um, the best way I can kind of describe it is if you take all the crayons in the crayon box and you mix them together, you get black, you get a blank space. And so that's kind of where my, uh, my gender identity lives. Um, but I'm also a gay, just queer individual. So I'm super happy to be here. I'm hailing from Fairfax County, about 30 miles from DC. And uh, yeah, I'm just like super grateful. And happy Pride to all of my panelists and everyone watching. Thanks, Drew. Happy Pride to everybody. Uh, my name is Tony Sexton, she, her pronouns. I fare from Portland, Oregon, and I actually live a little bit outside of Portland, Oregon. I'm working in Clackamas County. And if you guys ever see Mount Hood every winter, they have dramatic rescues on the mountain. That's our mountain. So uh, super proud of that. Um, I uh, identify as gay or lesbian, and I've been in the industry since, I'm almost embarrassed to say, since 1992. 
And um, I, I started off when I was about uh, Julie's age, uh, went into the dispatch center. And I've had the whole career of, uh, you know, trainee to coach to supervisor and ops manager. Now I finally landed over in Clackamas County as a tech manager. And it's just been a wonderful experience. So that's a little bit about me. That's amazing. And I love how well-rounded this panel is. We have um, opposite ends of our experience in 911. We have just an array of pronouns and stuff. I didn't give mine. I go by she, her. Um, and I think I've frequently used queer or lesbian as my title. I know um, for some of our heteronormative members, they sometimes shy at the word queer, but it's something that we have adopted as cool again. You know, things come in and out of style and now it's queer is cool. Um, I think I wanted to get moving first with Drew. Um, if you haven't read, he recently did an article and maybe Kimber or Sarah can share it in the chat, the hidden heroes of public safety, but it's the on hidden heroes. He talks about being out 911 really cool article there. And with that, I was hoping maybe Drew could shed some light on some of the challenges that queer people may come across or maybe some of the challenges that he has had while working in his professional 911 career. Absolutely, Valerie, thank you. Um, and thank you for plugging the blog too. I think before I get into like the 911 challenges, I like to just tell people that LGBTQ rights are new. Okay, our identities are not new, but our rights are new. So I think about different laws like Lawrence v. Texas in 2003. Before 2003, homosexuality was criminalized. Consensual acts were criminalized. I was already 13 in 2003, okay? And then you have Don't Ask, Don't Tell that was repealed in 2010. You have the Defense of Marriage Act overturned. You have the Employment Non-Discrimination Act of 2020 that finally gave us some Title VII protections. So these are 21st century rights. And I think about our cis hetero white male counterparts who have been having rights since the Magna Carta in like 1215, right? And so our culture is finally trying to play catch up to the policies that have been implemented, but it takes a long time. And so what I tell people in 911 is when LGBTQ individuals come into our centers, we have already been trauma informed from our environments, right? And so what we're looking for is psychological safety that we can show up without retaliation. We're looking for a culture of belonging. We're looking for permission to show up authentically. And so if your center has that culture in place, your center has those mindsets, then the next step is to have the policies that reinforce that inclusion. Policies like parental leave for same-sex couples, policies like gender neutral bathrooms on site for trans folk, policies like gender affirming healthcare. Um, so that's kind of the struggle that we're seeing in 911 is that we say that we're inclusive and I think that we are, but we don't have enough policy and procedure to back up that inclusion. That's really well put. <laughs> wow, Drew. Um... I can tell that you have a lot of knowledge. Um, <laughs> you really know all the acts that have passed and how they've come across. And I am probably older than you. So I'm, I'm, I'm really inspired by everything you've learned. Um, well, Julie, what about any ways that perhaps you've come across ways to make LGBTQ people feel more welcome in the center? Um, things that maybe your center has done to cultivate a sense of belonging. Is that something maybe you've come across? Absolutely. Absolutely. So my center is actually probably the most LGBTQ friendly center that I've ever been a part of. Um, for the most part, we have the dogs hear something, sorry. Um, for the most part, we average um, about 20 to 25% of our center identifies as somewhere in the LGBTQ spectrum. I'm sorry, hold on one moment, guys. 
That's fine. While she's stepping away, um, I did also want to say that Julie has done a blog for the Her Story Nine One Wonder Women Nine One Wonder Women blog. Um, also, and she is our inaugural recipient of the Fireworks Scholarship. And that's something that everyone should look into when they have time too, because it includes a really cool four day intensive 911 leadership training in Texas. But now that Julie's back, I'm gonna let her continue her story. <laughs> Thank you, Val. Um, yeah, so pretty much my center is very inclusive. We have a lot of LGBTQs. Um, as a more senior person in my center, I try to make sure that I am very open about who I am, about my pronouns. Um, when I introduce myself to new hires on that first day, I just like throw in there, I use she, her pronouns. And something as simple as that tells people like, oh, this is a place that would ask you your pronouns. Um, so different things like that. We also recently have implemented we call it like the red flag. And anytime somebody in the room is talking about something that makes somebody else uncomfortable, we just say red flag and the whole conversation stops. No questions asked, no comments, no like, why does, why do you feel that way? We just like, all right, the conversation's over, new topic. What do you guys want for ice cream? Um, and that very that allows, um, it gives everybody permission to shut down any conversation for any reason. Um, and it's very, it empowers all of the members of our team to be responsible for their own comments, as well as the comments of others. So. That is awesome. I love um, just introducing your pronouns when you first meet someone, because it is we normalize it the more we talk about it. Another thing mm -hmm. we can do is add it to our email signatures. Um, and something I've learned even recently is we often put it at the end of our email signature. If you move it up to the top of your email signature, that shows its importance level to you. Um, so that's something that I need to change on mine as well. And the red flag idea is really cool and maybe <clears throat> if there's a red flag moment <clears throat> just try to be the one that says red flag so that the person who maybe is uncomfortable doesn't have to yeah like if you notice somebody else in the room is squirming a little bit about the conversation be like okay red flag and stop it and something that i think we could do with our command staff too is with the pronouns, making sure when we comb through any edits and stuff we need to do for hiring paperwork or policies and stuff, that we are being pronoun neutral. Um, that's mm -hmm. something, you know, we need to use words like spouse instead of husband, wife, um, they. And, you know, they is something that has, um, been harder for some people to come around to accept um but it's just like i told someone today i was like you know when women were able to marry women and some people were like that doesn't make sense to me like how can a woman marry a woman i was like you were like what do you mean it doesn't make sense to you but that's how some people feel about their pronouns you're not it's not up to you to say hey this doesn't make sense this is who i am so I was like, you just need to get on board. And she was like, you know what, Val, you're right. But yeah, so just get on board. Use the pronouns. The more you use they, you can practice it at home. The more you use it, the more comfortable you become with it. I mean, I've had to do it myself. So mm -hmm. just uh, use it. And if you find an opportunity where you can at work, get them to improve their language too. I think that's uh, something that we can take on as members of the community. Um, I agree with you, Val. I even think that sometimes our pronouns should be included in CAD, right? Right next to our name. Why not have it in CAD so that it's not only for internal 911, but for the stakeholders that we interact with every day. If they're communicating with us, that's something that they should know as well. So I think that goes a step further into normalizing it, not just saying it, but having it available in the systems that we use. 
And you're so right that they, that they think it, it is hard. And I think that uh, what I always tell people is like, when someone cuts you off in traffic and you didn't see them, what do you say? I can't believe they cut me off or they, you know, they're driving crazy or erratic. So we know how to use it. It's just using it in a different context now. I always like the analogy that like being upset about somebody else's pronouns or somebody else's um, who they marry. It's like being upset that your friend's eating a donut because you're on a diet. Like me being on a diet shouldn't affect how the person next to me is eating. I like that analogy. We have a question in the chat. Uh, Joyce asks, history between law enforcement and the community has been strained to say the least. How are we changing this dialogue and how are we admitting our faults? And what are the visible signs of change? These are things that weigh heavy on my mind and soul. Joyce, I wish I had all the answers for that. That's that. That's I think that's heavy stuff that a lot of time comes with change. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'd like to know where Joyce is from. What part of the country Joyce lives in? Uh, I'll tell Joyce you that in Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Okay, I've never I've never been there, Joyce. Um, I I know in Oregon uh, for many 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 years we've had. Um, Portland Police has a, a gay alliance program where they've actually gone out and met with community and have roundtable with gay community members to talk about specific issues just like that. And so I don't know what you have. It seems like in Cincinnati they would have something similar. But um, in, in Port I'm from Portland and we've never really had an issue with um, police officers targeting gay clubs or targeting gay people. But I can tell you that a lot of um, people that I work with on, on campus here for the county feel that police absolutely target gay people and, and communities. And they bring up stats like gay people get pulled over more. And I'm like, is that true? And I'm like, how would you know I was gay by pulling me over? I'm not sure like where those stats come from. So, you know, Joyce, could you add a little bit more specificity to your question and, and what stresses you out? I, I'm, I don't see it where I'm at, but I could be wrong for your part of the country. And I'll chime in too. Um, thanks, Tony, for that. I, I think that I like to, as you probably know, I'm a history buff. So I like to approach things from history. And being that it's Pride Month, you know, you might see things like Pride was a riot, right? And so that's a reference to sort of the history between the LGBTQ community and law enforcement. And so that's kind of how Pride came about in New York City. It was, you know, LGBTQ people were targeted in a bar. And so the, the history from the very beginning was turbulent. And I think that I always tell people, especially in 911, in the wake of 2020, I said, we are to be a bridge between law enforcement and the community. And so while law enforcement has a lot of LGBTQ liaisons, we don't have that in 911. We kind of steer clear from those conversations. And I think they need us. They need us to kind of be the mediator between law enforcement and the community and be a neutral third party that kind of facilitates that conversation. I'm just looking at Joyce um, put in a thing. That is the, exactly the sentiment about bottoms or tops. We all hate cops. Um, we have a lot of ACAB uh, spray painted around in our area as well. And I, I, I'll be real honest with you. I, I'm not really sure what is driving that. At first, I thought it was a reaction to um, George Floyd and solidarity with our, our black uh, friends. And now I'm just not, I'm not sure because they're going, no, this isn't about race. This is actually about queer people. So I'll look to the younger people to um, maybe address where you think that's coming from. I, I think I'm very lucky in that I am born and raised in Massachusetts and um, a lot of are a lot of my law enforcement officers identify as gay and lesbian. Um, so we're able to get a lot of people resources and help that they need uh, just from like officers being like, 
hey, I actually called this gay crisis hotline once and you can call it too, like, because they have the resources for themselves as well. Um, I think that it probably just stems from LGBTQ being identified as a minority and minorities overall having issues with law enforcement. That it kind of probably gets grouped together in some aspects. Yeah, if you've never had to fight for representation, then it's hard for you to understand too. But so um, race and gender and sexuality usually fall in the bottom for the minorities and we're struggling. Um, if you fall into multiple of those categories, you're really struggling. So, but here in Alabama, I think, you know, we're some of the slowest to come around to the times. And, you know, it was something that I was telling our panelists earlier before we went live is being able to be a lesbian and to be married to another woman in Alabama is something that I never thought would happen. Um, but just to see the change in our state here in the past eight years has been amazing. We have some pretty good uh, pride festivities and stuff in our bigger cities. Um, it's still kind of like there's the token queer person on the police force or, you know, the token queer person here and there. And, but it's starting to become maybe a little bit less taboo. And so, but we still do that, you know, even with like, there's the first woman this or the first minority race this. And so, but just for, I don't know, just, coming around even in your slowest states like Alabama, it gives me product, um, hope that there's progress for everybody, even Mississippi. <laughs> when you live in Alabama, the only state you can put down is Mississippi. So sorry. Sorry, Mississippi. <laughs> I love you too. Um, well, I know we were hitting on the ways our command staff can maybe help us better. And I was wondering if anybody in the panelists today would have some insight if they were command staff in an agency, perhaps ways that you think would better the department for LGBTQ members. What's something that maybe you would put into place or... No? I'll be yeah. happy to hit. Oh, sorry, Drew, do you want to go ahead? Yeah, I love this conversation because it's hitting on so many things at once. And it just shows that there's so much intersectionality and in identity itself. Um, we're talking about young people. We're talking about older generations. We're talking about race. We're talking about um, sexual orientation and gender. And all of these things are uniquely different, but they all interact with each other in ways that make our communities and us as people very unique. And so Andrea King and I are actually uh, Nina's co-chairs for the, their diversity uh, specialty committee. And I saw Lori put in the chat that we need sort of DEI training. And I think that's one of the things that command staff can invest in is kind of educating people on what diversity looks like, what, um, how we should communicate with people that are diverse, because these are conversations that we've never had before in the comm center. And Julie said it best in the very beginning. She said, when I first meet someone, I give them my pronouns so that they feel more included. Well, we need people like Julie to teach others how to do that and how to communicate that and why that's necessary. We need people to share the history between law enforcement and LGBTQ individuals so that we understand what may be informing some of their hesitation what may be informing some of their hesitation to apply for the job, right? And so that's where DEI comes into place. It kind of brings all of these topics together and it educates us on how to approach the solutions. So I think that's where command staff should start. I agree with you, Drew, about the, the um, equity training. 
uh, in our county, when people join, they go through equity training right off the bat. And also, I'll, I'll just it's kind of interesting to me. I've been here for five years, and evidently, before I came here, nobody was out. And I live an out life. And so, you know, I show up and it's like, I'm here and my wife is Heidi and she's law enforcement. And I'm like you. And I just came out and just me coming out and just being forthright with people seems to have allowed. Uh, now it turns out there's a lot of gay people who work here. Who knew? I knew. But, they, you know they were they were not talking about anything and so i think command staff when we bring up conversations i am used to a culture of hey i'm having this conversation with this person about their family and this person about their family and then the gay people we just kind of ignore and don't really talk about it because it's uncomfortable or we don't want to hear about it have normal conversations with your uh, gay people and i saw there was a question too about uh, transgendered people and and them having trouble, I, I would recommend treat them as normally as you do everybody else, include them in in your your discussions, and have Drew come and do you know training for you. Do you do that, Drew? <laughs> yes, Andrea and I could both come. That's <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Tony. No, yeah, I do believe it's important. You know, if you just you treat people like they're normal because they are normal. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what I think you were going with. Like, um, and just to make sure everyone feels welcome, you never have to like signal anybody, single anybody out. Um, you just would treat people like you would want anybody to be treated. Um, but as for like affirming healthcare and stuff like that. You know, those are things where we're going to have to push up more to our command staffs or our HR departments and stuff. And it's going to take allies because there's more of you allies than there are of us. And the, the louder you can raise your voices, the more it can help us. And Julie, what were you going to say? Um, I think I, I cut you remember. off. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, oh, I was just saying that Drew's hired and that he can come to my center. <laughs> Teach DEI. Yes. I think Grace put in the chat, um, you know, what can we do as allies to kind of stand up for people in their battle for gender affirming care? And I think just having these conversations, Grace, the fact that you're here today is allyship, right? Um, having these uncomfortable conversations with the people in our circle. And then, like Val was saying, just feed it up feed it up to command staff, feed it up to your local representatives, you know, start to show presence and, and send letters and send support for trans individuals um, that you work with in public safety to say, hey, they're just like all of us. And I think there's so much misinformation about gender affirming care. Viagra is gender affirming care, okay? If I get a hair transplant, that's gender affirming care right? It's care that affirms who I feel I am. And I think we need to start normalizing that gender affirming care is not new. Many people have been using it all their lives. It's just a certain group of people now want access. And so there's a lot of resistance to that for some reason. I think the word gender affirming care just kind of scares people. Like nobody really thinks of Viagra or hair transplants being gender affirming because it's considered normal to them. So then it's just bringing the other trans portion of gender affirming care and normalizing that as a part of it that we Absolutely. need to work on as a whole. I know a while back, the world focused a lot on the world, the word microaggressions. And I think, you know, that's something that comes up in workplaces a lot. The little things that have really deep rooted, hateful meanings to them and stuff. And I mean, you would think we were all adults and stuff, but I know some people just come from a place where they mean well, and they're just ignorant and I think those sometimes are maybe the hardest ones for workplace trainings and stuff to, 
to wrap their head around because they don't. Maybe they mean well. Maybe she's just some sweet little old country girl. And she doesn't know that saying, I don't know, what's the word we don't say anymore or something, that, that that's hurtful. But what I've come across sometimes in work is you get into these training sessions for implicit bias or for race relations. And sometimes you come out feeling like you didn't really learn much or maybe you come out feeling confused um have y'all taken any trainings that you would recommend or drews or anything specifically that you would recommend i teach implicit bias training. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the courses that i'm teaching at conferences um, and that i'm applying for the fall conference sessions so if you catch me out there come to my course i promise you you'll learn something um <laughs> But you're so right, Val. Microaggressions has entered sort of our normal space in our awareness. And there's a book that I just read. It's called Subtle Acts of Exclusion. It's a very powerful book. It names microaggressions and it talks about why they're not so micro. So it's hitting on exactly what you're talking about. Um, it's by Tiffany Jana and Michael Banner, I believe, two doctors. Um, so if you wanna read that, if you're a reader, um, there's also a podcast that I listen to called Race at Work, but they also talk about microaggressions and, and different aspects of identity. Um, and yeah, just the, the coursework is out there. It's a little bit hard to find, but as I find it, I will definitely share it with everyone. And I think in most of the- I recently one. read a book. You recently Sorry. read a book? Um, I was just gonna say, I recently- yeah, I recently read a book called Inclusion on Purpose by Rashika Tolsian, and that was really good um, talking about, again, implicit bias and how to make sure that we are purposefully including everybody in every conversation that we have. Is there anything that stood out particularly in the book that was helpful? I'm sorry, you skipped, Valerie, what'd you say? Is there anything that stood out particularly in the book that was helpful? Um, it was just like the overall topic of like, it just, again, talks about implicit bias and how to make sure that like, if you're in a room of people and you notice one person isn't being included in the conversation or they're kind of like, off to the side, just making sure that you find a way to rope them into the conversation and have it be an entire group conversation. Um, I know like my center, we have six to eight dispatchers on in the room at a time. So just fit, making sure that like if the room's having a conversation and all chit chatting, that it's actually the entire room and it's not five people with one person sitting by themselves. That's good too. What about, we've talked about our colleagues and our command staff. What about the people on the other side of the phone? So the people calling for help, um, maybe they are queer, maybe they are transsexual. Um, have you come across anyone particularly that maybe you felt you were better prepared to help them because you understood where they were coming from? Have any stories or anything like that? Anybody? I, um, I don't know if I was better equipped to help the person, um, but it was a, 16 year old male to female trans person. Um, and they um, had attempted suicide and they're on the phone with me uh, while overdosing because their family didn't accept them. Um, and I don't think that there was anything that I did differently but like we literally just cried on the phone together um, and I made them feel not alone mm -hmm. um, 
while help came to help them. So Julie, just like I dealing with made, I bet that made a big impact on their life. Absolutely. Just being able to come from a place where you understand. And I think, you know, that's why that representation is important. Um, people, yeah. you know, I just think back when I was a kid, I didn't see people who represented lesbians or even even black people in powerful roles on TV and stuff. And I think, you know, that does affect you. And I'm just trying to picture being, you know, a scared transgendered person that wants to end my life. And I'm picturing what the police dispatcher is going to look like when I call. Mm -hmm. And most likely, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing not someone that represents me. And I think that maybe makes it more difficult. So I think if we can put all of our shades of color, all of our spectrum of gender and sexuality more in publications on TV and stuff, even on these stupid little 911 TV shows, like I think it's just more important, like just to have your face represented more. We just don't, I just, I think Julie's story was probably very impactful that for that person just because they understood where she was coming from or he was coming from. I forget which way the, um, but I just, I, I know that it does make a big impact and I hope that we are coming around to being able to help the callers more because that's the whole purpose of why we're here. Mm -hmm. Julie, thank you for your empathy. I mean, I think so many times we think empathy means we have to say the right thing or do something to show support. And you just held space, right? And that's really what it is. And you are a 911 Wonder Woman. Like that, that story impacts me so much. Because I think a lot of us, you know, I'll speak for myself. I have I have had suicidal ideations as a teenager, you know, and it was like trying to share with someone who's gonna understand where I'm coming from was nearly impossible. And so who do you turn to when you don't have anyone to talk to? You turn to 911, you talk to the resource that's always there. And there's an expectation that we're going to hold space for people regardless of their identity, right? And so th that is just, that hit home for me, thank you. So we have some other questions that we've been asked. Um, one is, how should a call taker address a caller if they're unsure of their gender or preferred pronouns? I was wondering about that. How do we ever know what anybody's gender pronouns are? That's a good question. Yep. We make assumptions on voice, right? And uh, assigning it ourselves. Um, I have been able to, over time, transition to they, them, or their, or I just leave, I try to leave out gender altogether. That's, mm -hmm. that's one approach that you can use. Yeah, I think that's key, Tony. I think um, we're trained to do that, right? Yeah. To use things like caller, subject, perp, victim. All of those things are gender neutral. Um, and so you're right. If, if the caller does not offer their pronouns to you, you won't know. It's an invisible identity. I think if they do offer their pronouns to you, that you should document it. Because what would the interaction be like if the officer came up and said, you know, hey, Drew, I'm Officer Mike. I use he, him pronouns. Dispatch told me you use they, them. Like, how comforting would that sound to the person that's needing help. That one, the dispatcher listened to me, and two, the officer is acknowledging who I am. Like that would be so powerful. So if they offer it, you know, document it, but then like Tony's saying, use those sort of genderless um, identifiers that we're used to in our field. That is so powerful. I'm picturing, um, if your department, if your officer can have pronouns like on their on their uniform what kind of a world would that, that would be so neat like i just 
you have your little sharpshooter pen, you know, all your other stuff. Why not something that's so important to so many people? I think I might bring that idea back to some of my LGBTQ officers, Val, and see if they'll put their pronouns on their gear. I love that. It's like we do during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Sometimes we switch to the pink patch okay. or a pink badge or a pink t-shirt underneath. Um, I know our department did that one time. You know, what if during Pride Month, we had some type of little rainbow lapel pin that our officers wore? Let's do it. Does anybody do anything like that? Yeah. There's nothing saying you can't. You just got to ask and implement it in your own center, guys. Grace says, I think it's good to talk about, but just asking a name and using their pronoun is helpful. ProQA, Priority Dispatch, offers you in the sex field, just the letter U. It will change the pronouns replacement and the software to they. I didn't know that. Oh, wait a minute. What? I didn't know that, Grace. I use ProQA. I'm going to have to bring that back to my center. That's amazing. That yeah, is a awesome. neat tip. I am. I'm. How do I change that? Because I've been arguing with this company about this. So fascinating. So you just put wow. you in the sex field, and it changes everything to they, them. Okay, I'm gonna go check That's it out awesome. right after this call. <laughs> I <know. laughs> I'm off today, but I'm gonna have to call my cue coordinator after this yeah. and be like, "Did you know?" That's awesome. Yes. Keep educating us in the chat too, because we love that. Yes. <laughs> um, we have another question I was going to see here. Uh, how can the 9-1 Wonder Women community further support you and carry this message? Sarah asking the deep questions from the background. Well, I know it, it helped me, um, I guess, wrote a blog for 9 Wonder Women a couple of years ago about being queer in my 9 center. And I was that person in Alabama that was our token lesbian. And the police department, um, at least it was out. And then later on, more people joined us and they would eventually let us know that they were also um, queer and would come out. But I've often wondered, like, if my little footprint made a difference. You know, it's already having that one little soul there. <laughs> of course, it made a difference. Yeah, absolutely. It makes yeah. a difference. Yeah. It gives the way for everybody else behind you. Yeah. Yep. That's we one talked of the about things how that's so important about being visible. Yes, exactly. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Saying the same how, thing. Go ahead, Jared. Take it away. Yeah. That's no. how Wonder Women helped helped me for this anyway. It helped me get my little story out there and be more open about it. I even I didn't I had some hard to talk about things in it because I didn't, I was still with the department then no people under the bus, anything rude. So I kept it pretty PC. I also ran it by our chief and he even ran it by legal. So that's how far it had to go for me to even put my blog out there in the public. Mm. And I don't think I've ever told Sarah that, but <laughs> It was a really big deal, and I'm glad she provided me the opportunity to do that. Sarah has always been so welcoming and so such a great ally for our community, and it always just makes me so happy. She wants to go full force with everything queer, and I love it. Thank you, yes. Sarah. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Sarah, well, I go was going to say, Sarah, what if we made a LGBTQ? 911 Wonder Woman subsection, sub area, maybe subcommittee type thing. 
I would love that. Someone asked me that at Nina. We'll talk. Cool. Yes. Yes. I think, Sarah, what you're doing with your platform, you know, like Val said, like Julie said, it it is transforming the industry. Um, because I think one of the things I have struggled with all my life is telling my story, right? Sort of similar to you, Val, telling your story through the blog, telling my story audibly in front of people, owning my truth. And so when you allow people to share in your platform to do that, it's almost in a way allowing us to heal certain parts of ourselves that we never got to talk about before. So thank you, Sarah. You are doing the work. You are the ultimate ally. <laughs> I completely appreciate everything that you are. She is. And I just wanted to remind the listeners right now that for the remainder of this month, which is almost ending, um, all proceeds purchased at the 911 Wonder Women's store goes to the Trevor Project. And you see Julie has on the pretty pride colored Tada t-shirt. Um, we even have like cool little koozies like this. And, and if you're just listening today and not watching, it says you belong here and yes. it has a rainbow on it. But anyway, I love the merch. I well, love you, that Trevor. it benefits the Trevor Project and it benefits Not One Wonder Women and it keeps promoting so that we can do these shows and educate people and bring other programs and initiatives to help further the mission. Oh, Kimber posted the uh, store in the chat. Thank you, Kimber. She says the stickers made my heart so happy. I love that, Kimber. I spent so long trying to figure out what to put on a sticker. Sarah was like, can you design a sticker for pride? And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> so I'm glad that everybody loves them and they came out great. They're great. Hey Val, I think up in the chat, somebody mentioned something about um, their coworkers being openly anti-pride and dealing with overt acts of uh, the opposite of pride. I don't know what that is, but like they're anti-pride and how to deal with that. Um, I was kind of wondering, it's like, do you really have command staff that put up with that and tolerate, or maybe even promote that kind of behavior? That would be very, very challenging for me. And I think I'd be, if I was queer in there, I'd be finding a lawyer, I, I believe, um, because totally unacceptable in this day and age to be dealing with that. So. I don't know if you guys have opinions about it, but I, I feel bad for that person that has to deal with that. Yeah, I'm just picturing there's a drastic difference between down here in the South <laughs> and Tony in Oregon. So yeah, I, I think it's pretty common for a lot of police forces in the South to be very close-minded about all minorities. Um, and I think for some people, it becomes to the point where you just accept it. And maybe some people just hide their identities if they can. And unfortunately, it's the way a lot of people live. I think a lot of us, you know, look at some of the other states, you know, Massachusetts and Washington, and we're like, y'all are so open and so loving and you want everyone to be happy. And, and I think in the South, we still have a lot of keeping the other people down, but, <clears throat> I mean, I do, th I do think I, I have witnessed a lot of progress. Our progress is very slow, but I do know we're coming around. Mm -hmm. I will say that I think that there's a center out there for everybody. Um, and that if your center or your area isn't, is like somewhere that isn't very accepting, move. I mean, like, I know some people can't always just, like, get up and move, but, like, um, find a center that works for you. Find a center that is more progressive. There are more progressive centers out there. Um, my center is hiring up in Massachusetts. <laughs> you can come work with me. I'd love to have each and every one of you. Um, but there's definitely the perfect center and the perfect job out there for everybody. It might be a little bit harder depending on 
where you live to find something like that, but keep looking. Um, reach out to Nanaimo Wonder Woman. We'll try to help as best we can to find the perfect place for you guys where you can feel safe and secure in your jobs. Absolutely. And if you're unable to move, stay and defend, you know, stay mm -hmm. and defend, support each other. When you see these acts of harassment, stand up to it. You know, if, if you don't have the courage yet to maybe attack it head on, document it. Keep a, keep a running log of all of the things you're witnessing and all of the things that you know go against the code of ethics and, and our morals within 911. Um, because there have been times I was in a great center and I still went through certain things that were just very demoralizing. So I think that, mm -hmm. you know, staying and kind of trying to change things at your center goes a long way too. Those rights that I mentioned, those 21st century rights, we were fighting for those in the 1960s. So it doesn't happen overnight. Like Val said, progress is very slow, but all it takes is one. All it takes is you, that one voice on the phone for that trans individual, that one blog that you put out, Val, all it takes is one. So I would encourage you to be that one and then find your two. <laughs> find the person who's gonna stick up for you too and, and support you. That's beautiful, Drew. Um, we're getting close to the end. And I just wanna see if we had any more last minute questions before we go. We're gonna have a little bit of a rapid fire question for all the panelists to answer real quick. Joyce put in the question box, um, what safety feels like to you. Describe what safety feels like to you. Signs of knowing you're feeling heard and accepted. When I feel I don't have to chisel away parts of myself, when I feel I don't have to mask, that's safety to me. That's very well put. Mm -hmm. When I feel I can bring my whole self to work. When people stick up for me before I even get a chance to, that allyship, there's a lot of safety in that. What makes you feel safe, Julie? Um, I guess just the overall acknowledgement of who I am as a person, like, when the whole room's talking about what they did over the weekend and, you know, that cis white male turns and looks at you and says like, oh, what did you and your girlfriend do over the weekend? And just kind of like acknowledge like, yeah, I am dating a woman and we hung out over the weekend. And it's something so small, but it's those little small actions every day that build up and allow people to see that the environment's safe to be in. What about you, Tony? I, I absolutely agree with you guys. Like when I'm just included in the conversation and they go, hey, what do you and Heidi do? Like that is like 100%. Like I feel totally included. And I'm always looking for, I don't know, like little snickers or eye rolls or whatever, right? And I don't encounter that. I am like, I feel like I've arrived. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's so important. I think Julie had to step away to take care of a dog. But I think we've gotten to all the questions that our audience had. So I'm going to ask you, Tony. Yeah. If you could go back in time to the start of your 911 career. Yes. Knowing everything that you know now. Yeah. What is one piece of advice that you would give your younger self? I will tell you, uh, when I started my career in, in 92, we had a vote in Oregon and it was like a marriage means one man, one woman. And every freaking where I went, people had bumper stickers and signs. And I, I'm going to tell you the most painful experience of that was at the dispatch center where there was another lesbian who worked there she had one of these darn 
stickers on there that says one man, one woman. It made me so mad. So if I could go back, I would have been out much, much sooner and more authentic to myself. At the time when I started, I didn't feel I could do that. But I think I, I should have stood up for myself much sooner. So that's my answer. Mm-hmm. Yes. I find it's so hard sometimes to stand up for ourselves, and it's yeah. easier to stand up for others. So, yes, I love that. What about you, Drew? What If you could go back in time, what would you tell your younger self? I would tell little dispatcher Drew um, to let your diversity be the disruptor it was meant to be. You know, take up space, disrupt the norm. Don't worry about who's going to say what or, you know, who's not going to agree. It's going to be freeing when you allow yourself to be you. Stop looking for a permission slip. Give yourself permission to be you. I love taking up space. People who fall into any any of the margins, we seem to like quietly walk into the room, like literally and figuratively. And when you're the majority, you just kind of boastly walk in, I'm here. <laughs> so I think the more we feel comfortable taking up space, the more we set those examples that it's okay yeah. What what would Julie go back and tell herself? Uh, well, really quick, Grace, I agree. We do need a sticker that says be the disruptor. That's a great idea. Um, <laughs> claim your space. Um, so it's kind of interesting for me because I, when I first started dispatching, I wasn't accepting of the fact that I was gay. Um, When I first started dispatching, I was dating men. Um, It's actually living with a guy. So um, I guess just overall telling myself that it's okay to be who you are. I come from a really conservative family, which is why I was not accepting of myself. So just being okay with who I am both inside and outside the center and being more forthright and proud of all the different aspects that make up who I am as a person. Wow, I think we really said it all today. Um, I wanna thank all of you, Tony, Drew and Julie for being here, for being so transparent for being willing to tell some personal stories too. Um, I feel more educated than I was when this podcast or this panel started. And I'm sure if I do, everyone else does as well. And that's to thank to the three of you. This was amazing. And I'm so glad that we have this platform for not one wonder women for us to be able to use these voices and that we have a founder that is such an ally and not only allows us to use these voices but she fights for it you know she really wants us to be able to be heard to be seen to feel valued and i hope that everyone that's a part of this does feel part and i think either sarah or sam was going to come back and close us out sam are you coming back Oh, I have to let her in. That's my bad. Sorry, Sam. Hang on. Sam is such an amazing host. Joyce, I'm glad you asked those questions. Just responding to the chat. Thanks for letting me ask the hard questions. (laughs) If you're not connected with Joyce, you should be. She's really cool. Yeah, thanks for asking the questions, Joyce. Well, here's Samantha. Unmute. Yeah, this was amazing. I'm going to to go back myself and re- replay. And I sat here the entire time just listening, but I'm going to definitely catch this on replay. Thank 
y'all were just amazing amazing panel thank you again to our moderator valerie minor thank you jules drew tony it's a pleasure i have i have yet to meet you in person uh miss tony and i look forward to it in the near future so it was awesome hearing from you all this was an amazing panel and obviously we will be back next month with another amazing panel please y'all uh if you just tuned in revy late uh watch the whole replay again it will be on the podcast will be on spotify and iHeartRadio and all the places where podcasts are at catch it on youtube as well the whole entire recording and please share because just as much as we love being able to do these in pa these panels and put it together with these awesome panelists we need y'all to continue sharing as well when y'all watch it and tell others about it so thank you all we will see y'all later. Thank you, Sarah, for letting me fill in quickly. So my face uh, in place of yours, our incredible 911 Wonder Woman in Chief. Y'all take care, okay? Bye. Thanks. Thanks, Bye, everybody. Bye.